Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning. Uh, welcome again to Coastal Community Church. Like Pastor said, I am Ryan. If we haven't gotten a chance to meet yet, and uh, I get to take us into week two of our Christmas series, It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, I don't know if you're like me, you look at the graphic for It's a Wonderful Life, and there's a question mark at the end, and you can't figure out how to actually say it. Like, it's a wonder, like, I don't know how it works, but so I just say, like, is it a wonderful life? Right, that's the idea, right? The life you are living now in this Christmas season, is it a wonderful life? Or can God, in, in his presence in your life, make it wonderful, right, make it more wonderful, and just be the life that you were meant to be living? And so we're doing that as a whole throughout the series by diving into uh, some of the attributes and names uh, of God given to us in Isaiah 9, 6. Right, it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so last week, Pastor Chris talked about how God is the Wonderful Counselor. And uh, so this week, we're going to look at how he is the Mighty God. And so to do that, we have to understand that Isaiah 9, 6, uh, this whole passage really, it's, it's a prophecy. Right, if we go back just a little bit, a couple of verses, Isaiah 9, 2, uh, it talks about people seeing a light. Um, it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so Isaiah, the book of Isaiah was actually written about six or 700 years uh, before the first Christmas. And so the light that they're talking about here in this passage, it is Jesus. It's a prophecy about Jesus. Right, this, whole, this whole passage is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And it's actually referenced uh, a bunch of other times in different spots in the Bible. Uh, Jesus himself even referenced it. In Matthew 4, he's talking, he says, you know, when Isaiah talked about, about the light, uh, it was me. He was actually referencing me. And so it's a prophecy about the Savior of the world is coming, and he will be the mighty God. And so let's talk about that this morning. Um, you know, today, uh, there are almost 800,000 people that call Charleston, South Carolina home. Like, that's a lot of people, right? I don't know if you're like me, we don't have the roads for that. We probably need to chill out. Um, but, but that's Charleston. There are actually 330 million people uh, that call the United States home. That's a lot of people. Right? There are 580 million in North America. Again, a lot of people. Right? And there are an estimated 7.7 .7 billion people uh, that live on the planet Earth. And again, that's a lot. And so my question for you is, how many of those people do you think you'll meet in your lifetime? How many? Is it 1,000? Is it 10,000? Is it 100,000? You probably have to put in a lot of work for the 100,000, but if you just think about it, there's so many, my point is there's so many cultures, so many uh, different groups of people that we have to have just such a limited perspective on the world. Right, does that make sense? Like, unless we really make it our goal in life to search out all these cultures and people and things, we have such a limited understanding. And then if you couple that with, like, how we're wired and how we think we're just so smart, right, it limits our perspective so much. And then even if somehow if we, if we are able to, to understand or we think we understand a bunch of different things, you know, we think we're so smart. And what we do is that we take this limited perspective or this limited uh, worldview and we think we're so smart, so we understand everything, and we take this, and then we put it into our faith, right? We limit our faith. We put these limitations onto God, right? And basically, again, because we're so smart, we think we understand God, right? We see just a tiny piece of him, 
or a tiny little part of, of who God is, or even something small that he either has or he hasn't done, and we think that's God. We think we know God and we understand him, and we put him into our little box. Right? We do this with everything. We have such a limited view, and there's really no better time uh, than Christmas, if actually, if you think about it. Right? We think Christmas and we see like Santa and trees and decorations and parties and all of that stuff. Or for a lot of us, we're, it's not such a wonderful life right now. We see debt or guilt, um, depression, anxiety, heartache, loneliness, all of these things. We see one or two or three of these different things, and we couple them together, and we say, that's Christmas. Right? That's, that's what Christmas is. And, and we lose sight of what it really is. The fulfillment of the most amazing promise ever given, fulfilled by the mighty God. Right? That's what Christmas really is. And so the question I want to start off answering, we're talking about mighty God. Uh, how mighty is God? That's the question I want to look at first, right? How mighty is God? How big is God? How strong is God? How much power does he have? How much strength does he have? What can God do? Isaiah, in Isaiah 40, 12, he says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the uh, earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? The answer is God, right? The mighty God, the only one who can weigh the mountains on a scale. And really, if you look back, basically the entirety of the Bible, if you start at the beginning, it's nothing but a demonstration of God's power. Right? You talk about in Genesis, like literally the first couple of verses, we know, uh, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created all this thing, he looked down on it, and he said it was great. And he said those four words, let there be light. And there was light over the entire earth. Right, that's how powerful he is. And, and if you really truly think about it, right, we hear these verses in the beginning of Genesis and we know like you know, God said, let there be light and there was light or in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth. And we know that and we hear those and we're like, yeah, cool. But we don't think about what that actually entails. Right, if you put that into our perspective, what does that actually mean? Right, like God said four words. He said, let there be light. Literally four words and out of nothing, like poof, like by magic, there was a gigantic, illuminating thing up in the sky that actually travels at 186,000 miles per second. That's 671 million miles per hour. That's crazy, is it not? How about this? If you were to travel at the speed of light, you could travel around the entire earth seven times in one second. That's how fast it's moving. And so when I start talking about these numbers, you know, I, I love... I have no concept of space, like space and outer space, and, but I love looking at the numbers and trying to grasp it. Right? So I want to do that this morning. I want to take you on a, really like take you back to school, back to science class. Does anybody else like science at all? Maybe? Okay, that's good. I, I don't know why I said anybody else, because I don't like science. Um, I like space. Anybody like space? Maybe? Anybody just mad that we're talking about school and science on a Sunday morning? I can understand that. But no, it's a really cool look at it. Genesis 1.14. It says, and God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. So it's talking about the sun and the moon here. So let's look at it. Right? We put those verses into perspective so we can understand. Right? So the moon is 2,100 million or 2,100 miles in diameter, roughly the size of the United States. Pretty big. Right? The moon orbits uh, about 240 thousand miles from earth it's a big number but not unfathomable right a couple of us probably have some cars with more miles on them than that 
Right? So it's a big number, but one we can understand. But what's crazy, though, is, is the moon actually orbits in a perfect circle around the earth. And you say, oh, that's cool, but it's not really that impressive, right? But it is because if you think about it, if, that, if the earth moves even, or I'm sorry, the moon moves even just a little bit closer to the earth, we would all be immediately crushed by gravity. And it moves in this perfect orbit, and it only travels millimeters, you know, off this track over the years. And then if somehow, you know, it moved in, and, and you weren't, like, you have some superhuman bone density or something, I don't know, and you weren't crushed, you would drown by the tides that would cover all of the earth because of that moon moving in. Right? It's, it's, so it's crazy how this moon affects everything and, and, and the fact that God created it specifically as it is. Right? But it gets even bigger, right? If, if you look at the sun, like, the sun is a whole different animal. Right, the sun is a hundred times the diameter of the earth. If it were hollow, it could hold one million earths in it. It accounts for 99% of the mass in our solar system. It burns at 15 million degrees Celsius and produces energy of 386 billion megawatts. Like I, I don't know what a megawatt is. I don't know how much energy that is, but 386 billion of them has to be a lot. Right? I said I didn't like science. Uh, but really... If you, if you think about it, like that much energy and that much power, it almost seems wasteful, right? That he would create something so big and so amazing just to give us some light. But if you think about it, it's, it's another reality check of how mighty our God is, right? For God, creating the sun was just like creating everything else. For God, creating the sun was no more difficult than creating a leaf and creating an ant. It was all the same. That's how mighty God is. But it gets even bigger, our solar system. Right? Our solar system is kind of like our little subdivision in the, in the bigger galaxy. And so our solar system is a bunch of different uh, things that interact with each other and all revolve around the sun. And so in our solar system, we have eight planets, four that are made of metal and rock, and four that are made of gas. And we live on one made of rock and metal, yes, very true. Although in my house, right, I have like a really tooty one-year-old and she smells like, like she just like shut down the golden corral when she farts. And then I have a dog and he's not that old, but he likes to be lazy and lay down and, and it just smells like he's rotting from the inside. Anybody have a dog like that? Right. And so in my house, you could probably be, you know, forgiven for thinking that you live on a gassy planet. Um, but no, right. So if you look back at there, are 200 billion stars, right. In our galaxy, there's only one in our little subdivision, in our solar system. And that's the sun. Right, there are 173 moons, 560,000 asteroids, over 3,100 comets in our solar system. And it would take you 11.65, or it would travel 11.65 trillion miles to get from one side to the other. It would take you approximately two light years to get from one side to the other. And that's big, right? Well, let's go one more bigger, the Milky Way galaxy. Right, we live in the Milky Way galaxy, and again, there are over 200 billion stars in our galaxy. The sun is just one of them. And it's nowhere near the largest. And to think about that, you know, to travel from one end of the galaxy to the other would take you 120,000 light years. So let's do that math, right? And I know you'd probably really hate me science and math on the Sunday again. But so you get to get from one end of the galaxy to the other, you have to go 120,000 light years, and that's traveling at 670 million miles per hour. Right, we just talked about how our solar system would take two light years to cross. So if we put that into perspective, that's basically like our solar system is the size of a quarter and our galaxy is the continent of North America. That's some perspective on it. Like one me holding one quarter here in this room versus the entire continent. 
And has anybody ever heard of the, the Hubble telescope? I used to do a bunch of like deep space studies. And they did a study where they looked at some deep part of space for a limited amount of time, and they watched everything move. And, and they found 10,000 different galaxies out in space. And what's even crazy, they found these 10,000 galaxies in an estimated 10% of space. Right? So 10,000 galaxies in 10% of space. And, and in that one galaxy, there are over 200 billion stars. That's too many stars to try to do math because my phone calculator doesn't go up that high and then it puts the little E at the end and we have flashbacks and it's not good. But <laughs> over 200 billion stars in one of 10,000 galaxies in only 10% of space. That's a lot of stars. Psalm 174.4 says, he determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. How about trying to remember all those names, right? Some of you got two kids and that's one too many, right? So you ask how mighty God is, that's how mighty. He determines the number of stars, something we can't even fathom. And not only that, but he calls them all by name. So how mighty is God? Colossians 1, 16 through 17. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. All right, so there it is. All things, right? all things, us, planets, stars, solar system, galaxies, all things are created through him, in him, and for him. And so when you think about that, what's, what's the natural reaction that we have? We hear all these numbers and all this information. Our natural reaction is probably just to feel small. And so why do we feel small? It's because we are. We are tiny in the grand scheme of things, and really small or tiny might even be too big of a word to describe us. It's amazing when you truly think how small we are. And I think King David captured it the best in Psalm 8. He said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place... What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Like, who are we? Who are we that, that God would care for us? And this is something I want you to hear loud and clear this morning. We serve a mighty God and he is big and we are small, but we are far, far from insignificant. Like, we are so far from irrelevant. I mean, if you think about in the, the trillions of stars and the billions of planets and the millions of solar systems and the thousands and thousands of galaxies and just the 10% of space that we know about, we are insignificant. We mean nothing to that. Yet, yet we were created by God specifically for a purpose. Right? We were created on purpose, for a purpose, and with a purpose. And you would think, you know, creating these massive stars and planets and solar systems and galaxy, you know, that was a lot. You would think that would be a lot of work. But listen to the work that God put into you. I know a little science lesson. Listen to this. Inside of our bodies, we have more than 100,000 miles of blood vessels. We produce 2.5 million new cells every second. Our heart pumps 1 million barrels, barrels of blood in an average lifespan. How about this one? There is more bacteria in your mouth right now than the human population of Canada. That's a fun one. I think there's some mouthwash in the bathroom for some of you. But how about this? Every organ that you have two of in your body, you only need one. God knew some of you would probably be a little done with them, so he threw in a backup, right? (laughs) How about this? Your stomach acid is so powerful that it can dissolve metal. 
If it were to touch your skin, it would burn straight through you. Uh, the average person in their lifetime can produce enough saliva to fill two swimming pools. That's a good one. <laughs> Humans shed about 600,000 particles of skin every hour. In 24 hours, your blood will travel 12,000 miles, four times the size of North America. And then one last one. It's not really amazing. I just want to watch you all try it. Uh, it is physically impossible for your body to breathe and swallow at the same time. Go ahead. I'll wait. <laughs> that bacteria tastes good, right? Yeah. No. But that's all fun, right? But seriously, if you think about it, how amazing are we? How amazing it is that we are walking around doing what we're doing right now? How mighty does God have to be to create both the galaxies and the heavens and us? Psalm 139, 13-16 says, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, your works are wonderful. I know that full well my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So here we are. Now here we are in this body, on this planet, in this solar system, in this galaxy, and why? Why? Because that's what God wanted. Because that's his plan, and we are a part of it. Right? He's got a plan for everything. For everything, and we get to be a part of it specifically. It's crazy, but again, what we do is, is, you know, we try to grasp all these things, but we have such a narrow-minded concept of things, we focus on all the little things, right? Our tiny little perspective kind of takes over. And again, especially during the holidays, right? We get so caught up in the cultural elements of everything. We get so caught up in our own issues, our own struggles, you know, for some, our own feelings of just despair and, and insignificance this time of year, and we forget the big picture. Right, we forget our purpose and who created us. But when we, begin, when we begin to push all of those things aside and we allow ourselves to get just a tiny little glimpse or a tiny taste, just a little bit of God's perspective on things, that's when things start to get real. Right, and so in the process, we can start to see where this mighty God can make a difference in our lives. Right, when we can incorporate his perspective into our daily lives, even just a little bit, we can start to see how things get a whole lot clearer. And so my question, second question for you this morning, after how mighty is God, where do you need a mighty God in your life? In which area of your life do you need a mighty God? Uh, back to our main verse, Isaiah 9, 6, just a little bit of context in it. Right? So in Isaiah's time, again, 600 to 700 years ago, uh, before, or, I'm sorry, years ago, before Jesus, Israel was in a civil war, right? It was north or south. And in this case scenario, the northerners were the bad guys. They were actually trying to enslave the southern people of Israel. And the south was losing, and they just had a horrible king, horrible leadership. And the north was even making like allies with different countries uh, surrounding them so they could tear them apart even faster. And so these people in the south just started crying out to God. They said, save us. And so God sends Isaiah to tell them, you know, don't worry about it. I've got this. You know, you don't have to worry. He says, I'm going to take care of it. He says, well, you know, those people, that kingdom, those people that you're scared of, they're not going to be around anymore. He says, just give me 65 years. And no offense, that's 65 years. I mean, that's a long time to wait to not be destroyed, right? I mean, no offense again. Some of you won't be around in 65 years. I hope I won't be around in 65 years. That's a long time. And we're not wired to wait. We don't like waiting. 
And, and, you know, we make a joke out of, you know, waiting six to five years if you had to wait, but sometimes it's not a joke. Like sometimes, you know, you say, God, I need a new job now. I can't wait 65 years for a new job. I've got bills to pay. I've got a family I've got to take care of. God, I can't wait 65 years to have a kid. Or God, I can't wait 65 years to find a spouse. Or how about this, you know, God, my, my husband, my wife is sick. My mom or dad is sick. They can't wait one month, let alone 65 years. God, I need it now. I need a healing now. And this Christmas season, when it's supposed to be a time of, of love and family and hopefulness and gra- gratitude, lots of times it's really filled for despair and longing and heartache and loneliness, and you're saying, God, I need you now. God, I need your help now. And, and you know, some people say those you know, super churchy people, you know, the ones I'm talking about, and they say, you know, well, waiting will make it better in the end. It'll make it more satisfying. You know, it helps, builds character. It builds faith. And you're like, yeah, but I don't need that right now. Right, I need help right now. And here it is, back in the story. God says, stand firm on your faith. And the southern people, they don't like that. So they start looking for other answers. Right? They start calling in, like, like looking for spirits and, and different mediums. And, and today we call those worldly things. And they look for different answers. We do the same. Bad people, unhealthy relationships, alcohol, drugs, shopping, whatever it is. We turn to whatever we can. You know, it's funny how things have changed you know, from 600 years ago, before, or 600 years before Jesus to 2,000 years after him, you know, things change, but we really don't. But back to the story, you know, the king of the southern people, he doesn't like Isaiah's answers of just live through faith. And so he actually makes, uh, goes to make an ally with, with Syria, which is like the biggest, you know, power in the day. And so God, he makes his allowance, uh, alliance, and Isaiah comes back, and again, he gives the message and says, you have to trust me. This is from God. He says, you have to trust me. You know, whatever the challenge is, whatever is in front of you, trust me with it, and I will come through. That sounds like a pretty good promise right there. But again, the king, he's so smart that he politely declines. And so Isaiah says, bump this. You know, he goes to the people, the people that do want to trust God, right? And he says one of the more famous verses that we now know as a part of, you know, Christmas. It's on all the Christmas mugs and cards and everything. Isaiah seven fourteen. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. All right, so he gives this promise that the virgin is going to get uh, pregnant with his baby and he will grow up and be the savior of the world. And not only that, but instead of 65 years, the kings that you're scared of, the people you're scared of that are looking to destroy you, they're going to be gone in two to three years. And guess what? It happens. Right? And this became the Christmas promise that we know, that we celebrate. Right? And this became the Christmas promise that is, is yet to come. Right? That one day God will come and he will be with us. He will be with us. You know, he made a promise to show up. And then 2,000 years ago, he did. You know, born to a virgin, he grew up to save us all. And that's where this passage, you know, that we're really breaking down comes from. That Isaiah 9, 6 passage. It comes from this promise. Right? That's, that's why we're looking at these names of God so deeply, because of the significance of the promise behind them. And so again, today, what does being a mighty God encompass? That's the third question. What does being a mighty God encompass? We know in the grand scheme what it means. We already talked about all the things that he created, how big he actually is. But for, but for us, in our everyday life, in our everyday faith, what does a mighty God working on our behalf look like? What does having a faith in and a relationship with him look like? 
First off, it means that he rescues us. And what does the mighty God do? He rescues us. In the Bible, before Jesus comes to earth, it talks about him coming as a warrior, a champion. Right? Like, just like a bad dude that's going to, and you know, you would think all these people, oh, this guy's going to come, he's going to just kick butt and take names, and, and we're going to be rescued. Right? But what does Jesus come to earth as? A baby. A baby born in the stable of a tiny hick town called Bethlehem. Philippians 2, 6-7 says, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Right? Before we were born as a baby, we were nothing. Before he was born as a baby, he was the all-powerful, all-knowing God. So why come like that? Why come as a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem? Right, because he wanted to get on their level. He couldn't truly rescue, he can't truly rescue us or get us to accept him until he came down to our level. Right, he couldn't rescue us until he became vulnerable like us. Right, and so he also came to, rescue, he came to be with us. He came to understand us and to suffer with us as humans. Right, he didn't come off as you know, a well-born or well-off baby in a great and powerful family. Again, he was born in a major Bethlehem. He understands poverty and racism, and loss, and heartache. He came to rescue us by being with us. You know, I've heard it said this way, that Jesus came and stood with us so that we never have to worry about where we stand with him. Right, but that wasn't the end. He actually had to rescue us. And that's why he took our punishment and he died on the cross. Right, because that was the dilemma. Like, how does, he, how does he destroy sin in the world without destroying us as the sin in the world? And so he did the one thing he could do. He came to earth and took all the sin. He took it on himself. And with his death on the cross, he destroyed it. And then he came back, rose from the dead, defeated death, and with it rescued us to the point that we never have to be separated from him again. The Bible says in Romans 8, 39, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Jesus our Lord. That's the mighty God who rescued us. Another thing that being a mighty God encompasses or that a mighty God does is that he fights our battles. God fights our battles. You know, he doesn't just have this amazing power and tell us all about it, but he actually uses it for us. He puts it to work for us. He defends us. And what's so crazy is that we don't even have to deserve it. Right? You know, the first Christmas, that was a messed up situation, right? Like nothing about it. His parents, uh, the place he was born, the politics of the day, nothing was normal. Nothing was easy. It was all messy. It was all complicated. It was difficult and ugly. And that just shows you that God isn't scared of your messes. God isn't scared of our messes. He isn't scared of or intimidated by what's going on in the world. He isn't worried about the mess going on in your life. Especially the mess during the holiday season, right? Because for us, you know, as great a time of it is, as great of a time of year as it is, we always get a little extra messy during the Christmas season, whether it's finances or relationships or our house, whatever it is, in one way or another, uh, there's a little extra mess. Right, but with this God who fights these battles, we don't have to pull ourselves together before he comes in and gets to work. Right, that's a big misconception with a lot of people in church. Right, that they have to get their life together before he can come in. They just think he's going to come in after and judge them on what they've done. 
But that's not how it works. That's so backwards, right? We can only get in together, or we can only get it together by letting God fight on our behalf. Romans 8.28 tells us, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so the verse tells us that God, what God does and all the good that he does in our lives, you know, he's not saying get it together and then he comes in and I'll judge you on what you've done. No, he uses his infinite power, right? He destroys our enemy. He fights for our good. And we know that his amazing plan is for us to thrive, not fail. And he fights those battles to make that happen. And the third thing a mighty God does, he gives us strength. Mighty God gives us strength. Three real quick verses for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So when Jesus comes to earth, he is saying, I'm giving you a new life, life not dependent on yourself or what you can do, but only found in my strength. He's giving a new life found only in him. Romans 6, 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So he destroyed the power of sin. He destroyed the payment of sin. He destroyed the penalty of sin. Right? Still is, sin is still in our lives, but its strength and power over us has been taken away. Lastly, uh, Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is like such a really cool verse. It's actually like part of like 95% of every prayer I think I pray. You know, even when we can't want the right things in our life, like we're not capable of wanting the right things. God's strength gives us the ability to want those, but then takes it a step further and gives us the power to do it. Right, so Jesus gives us his strength simply to make our lives better because he loves us that much. I know a lot of you that are you know, smart and you can put two, to two and two together real quick and you say, well, if he gives me the desire to do right things and he gives me the power to do it, why am I not better? Why am I not a better person? And you have to understand that you are more broken than you could ever imagine. And sin has done that to all of us. And yet while his power and strength are here for us, we're so broken that half the times we don't take it or use it or access it like we should. And again, in, in his infinite power and wisdom, God has another answer. And that's his grace. That's a different message for another time. But the last thing, the last thing a mighty God does for us is that he fills our life with hope. God fills our life with hope. John 14, starting verse one says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, but also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. That's the Christmas promise right there. That's the promise that the Christmas story fulfills. That's another promise that the next time he comes, it won't be as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. It will be as a conquering king here to take us all back with him. And how do we know it's going to happen? Because he's already done it once. Right, 2,000 years ago, he came and fulfilled the promise that he made. He rescued us. He loved us. He came to be with us. That's our mighty God. And now we see what a mighty God is. We see what he does for us. You know, we read the promises he has both made and kept. We see how his power and strength can work in our lives. 
But I know still, for, for some of us, sometimes, that's still not enough. At all the Bible answers, all the verses, it all sounds good. But you're still worried about the things going on in your life right now. And a lot of you, the giants that you're facing, they just seem too big, right? Whether they're uh, financial, relational, uh, whether they deal with health and sickness, whatever they are, loneliness, heartache, your giants seem too big for God to make a difference with right now. And so just really quickly as we close it, I want to give you two last quick things that truly understanding might just open your eyes to who God really is, or maybe even who God is not, and then how he can make a difference in your life right here and right now. And at first glance, they may seem a little different or confusing, but they are truths that really can allow you to grasp the magnitude of God's might. The first thing, the first truth we have to know to understand God's true nature is that God is not safe. God is not safe. Now, he is a safe place to go, right? He's not safe. He is a safe place to go. Psalm 46.1 tells us God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. He is a safe place. But a lot of us, you know, he's a safe place to take our, our issues and our problems and our concerns. And I think a lot of us were taught growing up to not take these, you know, these questions to God, to not take these kind of lame little issues to God because that's doubting him. But think about it. If, if he can, you know, I promise if he can hold the stars in the sky and he can light the sun on fire, he can create the galaxies in the solar system, he can handle your problems. And he can handle the, the things you've got going on, your questions, your issues. God's got time for you. And so God is a safe place. He's also a near place. He's close. Right? You may think God is just out there sitting over all the galaxies that he created and just kind of looking down. But that's not how it is. He's close, and what better time of year to think about the nearness of God than now at Christmas? Right? The God that, that created it all, that holds it all together, came down to this tiny little speck on the grand scheme of everything called earth. He came, he came down and he made himself human. He lived a life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have died just so that we could be with him in eternity. He chose to come to earth to be close to us. And so he is close, he is near, he is a safe place, but he is not safe. Meaning he doesn't fit into our small-minded boxes. He is not just who we think he is or, or who we want him to be or, you know, he is, he's bigger than any category or group or classification that we can put on him. The Bible often portrays God as a lion. Amos 3, it says, a lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, but who can prophesy? But prophesy. And so God speaks and it's legit. And that may sound counterintuitive, but think about it. Who do you want protecting you? Do you want someone who's safe and predictable? Or do you want someone who, when he speaks, the earth trembles, fighting on your behalf? That's who we have. And, and it, he, is, you know, he is a safe place, but you have to realize, too, that God can call anyone anytime into their most difficult challenge yet. Like that makes him not safe, but a safe place. Right? People often say that you know, the safest place to be in your life is in the middle of God's will. And I just think that's crap because that's the most dangerous place. Right? But it's also the best, by far the best. Right? Every single person in our life, you know, if you think about it, every single person has faith in something. We just have to live by faith. Every single person that you know, every human walking the earth is operating by faith. It's just better when yours is in the God of the universe. And it's on purpose. And so the last thing, one more quick thing that could potentially open your eyes to who God is, one more truth, 
It's that God is not silent. God is not silent. You have to understand this. God is always talking in your life, whether it's through his word, the people around you, the world around you. God is always talking. But what is he saying? Right, if we could sum up this whole message this morning, everything that we talked about, all the creation, everything God has done throughout the Bible, sum it all up into one thing. What is he saying? He, he did it all to say one thing to everybody. He did it to say, I am bigger. I am better. I am more glorious. I am more mighty. I am more. I am more than anything you are facing, anything that you have faced in this world, anything that you're going to face. I am bigger. And I'm giving everything I have to you, for you. In that verse in John 14 that we read earlier, you know, after that, after Jesus talked to his disciples, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. A little later on, they asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And so my hope for you this morning is that you hear that loud and clear. Right, the same mighty God that created the heavens, that holds the stars in place, that knows them by name, Right, the same God that created you, that created me, that came to earth as a baby born in a stable in Bethlehem, who grew up in a sinful world and died on a cross to destroy your sin and my sin, and then three days later rose from the dead to once and for all conquer death. Right, for, he did all of that just so that you have a relationship with him because he wants a personal relationship with you. Right, he wants nothing more than to know you and for you to know him and to give you a life that's only possible through him. And so if that's you this morning, if you are ready uh, to, to move into that relationship, uh, to accept him and know him as your personal Lord and Savior, uh, will you join me in prayer this morning? Let's pray. Uh, God, we just we thank you for this morning and the chance to come here and to just discuss how mighty you are, to look at how mighty you are, to look at what you've done and see how mighty you are. And God, for a lot of us, we're facing some giants that seem pretty big this time of year. We're facing a lot of different things, whether it is, you know, culture and it's, uh, you know, whatever it is, God, it's our own personal struggles, loneliness and heartache, whether it's financial, relational, all these things, God, we're facing a lot of different things. And it's at this time more than ever that we need to just turn to you. God, help us to do that. Help us to push all this worldly stuff aside and not look to these different things to satisfy us or give us purpose in life. God, just help us to look to you. Help us to put our faith and our trust in the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace. Help us to look back on these stories and see that it's not just an empty promise, it's something you've already done and that you're going to again do. God, just help us to have that faith. And God, I know there's some people here this morning that, that haven't made that decision to, to know you or haven't gotten a chance to know you well. And they might be ready to do that this morning. So if that is you, you say, God, I, I, know, I know what you did now. I know that you sent your son to this earth, born as a baby in Bethlehem, to grow up facing all the same issues that I face every single day. And then he took it a step further when he, you know, he, he took this, my sin and died on the cross for it. But not only that, he rose from the grave three days later to conquer death and give me a permanent home in heaven with him. I know that now, God. And I just want to accept you this morning. I want to accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. God, thank you for everything that you do for me. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for listening. 
From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.